Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest podcast. And this is going to be on hematuria. This was a lecture I gave at the Baptist ER meeting. So it was a bloody mess, evaluation of hematuria in the ER patient. They made up the title, but I made up the slides. So let's get started. So hematuria is defined as the presence of red blood cells in the urine. When visible to the patient, it's termed gross hematuria and is usually alarming to the patients. Microscopic hematuria is that detected by the dipstick method or microscopic exam of the sentiment. And it's important, it's an important difference besides the obvious. In patients with microscopic hematuria, neoplasma is uncommon, and it's typically going to be in the low percentages. Uh, again, it depends on the age of the population. Obviously, uh, in the older population, microscopic hematuria is more important than in the younger population in terms of finding a neoplasm. But in either population, it's small. However, with macroscopic hematuria, the risk for malignancy is high, and even up to a third of patients, perhaps, and even patients under age 40, 10% will have a tumor. So again, macroscopic versus microscopic is important, and that can help you in terms of planning your protocols. In men over age 60, the positive predicted value of macroscopic hematuria for malignancy was 22%, and in women the same age, but 8.3%. A single episode of hematuria is as important as recurrent episodes, and that's indeed important. Now, when you think about macroscopic hematuria, the big dogs in the room are malignancy. There's obviously many other things from calculi to infections to uh, hemorrhagic cystitis to bleeding disorders, but when we do the CT scan, unless there's some really good history, like trauma, we're thinking tumor. Now, when you look at the ACR Appropriateness Committee, CT with and without contrast is a 9. It's the highest rating humanly possible. Now, the presence of renal disease, things like renal colic, that's the number one ER diagnosis when you look at the abdomen. When you look at the article by uh, Abjuda and Thrall, when they looked at how successful CT was in the ER setting, 20% uh, of the patients had renal colic. and uh, Again, when you're looking at any ER group of patients, the kidney is always going to be one of the most common organs. The worldwide prevalence and incidence of stone disease has been increasing. Acute urolithiasis is diagnosed in about 1% of all yearly ambulatory visits in the U.S. and in Europe. It's interesting how common it is. This article about goal, lifetime risk for urinary calculus disease is 12% for men and 6% for women. There's a number of risk factors, family history, urinary tract abnormalities, metabolic disorders, as well as stone diseases higher in the warm regions and during the summer months because of the risk of dehydration. Now, there was a good article a couple years back looking at what the clinician wants to know. They want to know, is there a stone present? Number one question. If there is a stone or stones, where are they? Kidney, urine, or bladder? What's the number of stones? What's the maximum diameter? And is there secondary findings, whether it's acute polynephritis, diverticular, in the, in the bladder? What is going on? And the study by Eisner also make the point that uh, the detection of stones uh, enables evaluation for uh, many different findings. So when you think about stone disease, and let's talk about stones for a little bit, uh, CT is a study of choice. Again, non-contrast CT. And when you look at these different uh, sensitivity and specificity for detecting stones, 
CT is number one with about a 98% accuracy. There are articles looking at when stones will pass. Um, and they talk about some different numbers. Spontaneous passage rate of 48% for proximal versus 75% for distal calculi. And when you look at the numbers, the smaller the stone, the more likely it is to pass. Okay, and when stones get to be nine millimeters or even probably seven millimeters or more, the likelihood of them passing decreases very rapidly. Article by Lotan, uh, ROC curves that were constructed for stone size and attenuation revealed that stones over 6.5 millimeters and with attenuation value of over 1100 were more likely to require interventional radiology. Okay, so 6.5 is hard to measure, but let's say anything over 6 or 7 and anything with very dense is probably going to need some sort of intervention. Uh, Lowton goes on to say our results show that the larger the stone, density, and proximal location were significantly associated with the selection of interventional over conservative management. Complaints of shivering, fever, and leukocytosis also strongly correlate with the, the selection for interventional treatment. So again, it's both symptoms, location, and size. Now the question always comes down, can you miss a stone on CT? It's always theoretical. Uh, stones that are composed of protease inhibitor, indivar can be missed, but that's so rare. I can't remember a case in 20 years. Here's a typical stone. Sometimes it's not seeing the stone, but thinking, is it in the ureter or not? Well, here it's really simple. Do a coronal view. I think sometimes the difficult ones are stones in the pelvis, where there are multiple calcifications, and most are flea bullets, but maybe one is a stone, and it's sometimes hard without contrast to be certain. But usually we can make the diagnosis. Now, of course, when you think about, we mentioned before, hematuria, particularly macroscopic, we're thinking about cancer. But again, only about 40% of renal cell carcinomas will present with hematuria. There are many other reasons. So again, you think about renal masses, but there are many other things to think about. Now, as long as I mention renal masses and hematuria, let's just make the point that one of the challenges we have, particularly in the ER setting, is we don't have multiple phases typically. And the reality is you sometimes see lesions which appear to be high CT attenuation, but they're not tumors, they're high density renal cysts. And so characterization becomes critical. So when possible, you may need to have multiple phase acquisition or bring the patient back to clarify things. Cortical medullary, parenchymal, and excretory phase are the phases you can do following injection of contrast material. We talked about this in many of my other talks about why we like cortical medullary, the difference between cortex and medulla, the vascularity, both of the tumor and the vascularity change in the kidney or masses, or just looking at the vessels. And then for post-processing, it works out very well. So that not only can you see normals, but arterial mapping can show you neovascularity, which can predict outcomes in patients based on chemotherapy. Or here, a nice invasion of a very vascular mass with extension into the patient's left renal vein. Again, the vascularity of the tumor can tell us this is not a papillary renal cell, but this is a clear cell renal cell carcinoma, and the extension into the vein is very nicely seen. You can see how the timing of the early phase becomes critical. The lesion is obvious at all phases, but the vascularity, and using the vascularity to judge management or judge outcomes, it's very important to do the timing correctly. And this is just a very nice example of that. And you can see as you go later on, obvious mass, but 
What are you going to tell me about the vascularity? Not a whole lot. Now in the cortical medullary phase, we talk about differentiating clear cell from papillary. We talk about the average clear cell being about 152 Hounsfield units, papillary about 61 to 62. And the point being that if you simply use the hundredths of a cutoff number, which gives you a lot of leeway, you're going to be greater than 95% accurate and specific. Now papillaries are important to recognize because particularly in older patients when they're small there is the consideration of leaving them alone because they're typically low-grade tumors, hypovascular, they're great if you want to operate for partial nephrectomies or ablation, they're typically homogeneous and this was an article way back when by Brian Hertz but again low vascularity becomes very critical. There are also the lesions you can miss on non-contrast CT. So here's a nice example of a papillary in the right kidney. And you can see there's no reason that you would call it, but you give contrast, and you see the lesion very nicely. And you see it also on the 3D mapping. And here it is from the nons to arterial to delayed. The other mistake, besides missing the lesion on non-contrast, is thinking on expiratory phase that that's a solid mass, but it's probably just a high-density cyst, and it's not enhancing, or it's very well-defined. And what happens is people sometimes look quickly, because you're not looking for a renal mass, when it's an incidental finding, and you just blow by that and say it's just a, a cyst. So papillaries can be very well-defined, but you have to be very careful to look at the density value. Now we talk about excretory phase being very important, and it is for a number of reasons. One thing for sure, without excretory phase, you're going to miss a lot of transitional cell carcinomas. Uh, it's important for looking at papillitis. It's important for looking at polynephritis. Our protocol, and we've discussed this again previously, water, IV contrast, gets a real good look most of the time at the calyces duplication on the left. I like to get a five-minute delay because we get good opacification, but things aren't too dense. When things get too dense at eight to ten minutes where people wait that long, um, you get beam-hardening artifact off the contrast and off the calyces, and so often you can miss things, particularly things like papillary necrosis or even small tumors. Also being practical, you gain nothing by waiting longer, and if you add up five to ten minutes on every case, you can do a whole slew of additional patients. Now, urethelial tumors are important to recognize. They're a smaller percent of tumors, but in my experience, we're seeing them more frequently. Older patients, but again, the same age group, essentially, as renal cell carcinomas, male to female, three to one. And they're important for a number of reasons. They're easy to miss, particularly when small, and they typically are metachronous. When you look at this article by Prando, there's a range of findings from C-cell polyps to calicella irregularities to amputation to tumor-filled distended calyces. The more subtle lesions can be missed. Here's an example recognizing that TCCs are hypovascular. Look at the right kidney. Look centrally. Let me circle that for you. See the mass? Here it is coronal. What is that? kind of looks smooth, well-defined. Is it something? Is it a... I don't know what. What is it? Well, excretory phase, you can see the calyces are distorted. There's a filling defect in the pelvis. You look at the coronals. Obvious infiltration of the renal pelvis with the involvement of the upper pole calyces, which is, in fact, better seen when you go to the 3D imaging. Very nicely shown the destroyed calyces. Or this example, 
When you look hard into the left renal pelvis, there's soft tissue density there. There's the most subtle perfusion changes seen. Let me circle so you see it. Here it is coronal. Let me circle so you see it there. And you see how the pelvis has a soft tissue density? This can be important if you didn't have contrast or you only had arterial phase. It's subtle, but I think it's doable. Obviously, it's much more obvious on the excretory phase. Look at the filling defect there. I'll circle it for you. Transitional cell carcinoma, lower pulcalyses, which you also can see with cinematic rendering. So I'm showing it to you 10 different ways, but I do want to emphasize how easy it is to miss. And here's when I pull out the calyces on the cinematic rendering. And look how nicely you see that filling defect in the left renal pelvis. So again, we have a new way of looking at things, but if you don't look carefully, if you don't do the protocols correctly, you're not going to be successful in that regard. Another example. Here the left kidney looks like it's a regular shape. Are there parapelvic cysts present? Give IV contrast. Perfusion changes are seen. What's going on by the pelvis? Very subtle. Look at the patient's left ureter approximately. Is that a UPJ? Well, when you look a little bit more carefully, there's thickening there. And you look at the UPJ, there's real narrowing beyond what would you might expect to see with a UPJ. And you look at it in the coronal view, and it really bothers me, those calyces on the left. But again, maybe it's just obstruction by a tumor that's small. When, or maybe it's just simply a UPJ. Do I need to do anything? Do I need to do a retrograde? Do I need to do other findings? What exactly should I do? Well, when you look at the reconstructions along the plane of the ureter, you see the soft tissue thickening. You see the infiltration. This was a transitional cell carcinoma. Now, it's important, you know, we spend a lot of time looking at the kidneys, whether it's renal cell or TCC, and I've just covered some of the key facts, but you also want to look at the ureter. Ureter tumors, when they're small, are easy to miss. You may see some minimal thickening or enhancement changes. You may see a stone or calcification, but what is, how do you recognize it? Again, I don't want to spend too much time on it here, but you can see that it can be subtle. 3D works well. Look at the left kidney. I'm not impressed. But look at the 3D. Look at the subtle changes in the left ureter. It's not obstructing, but you see what looks like small ulcerations. That was transitional cell. Or this case, look at the left renal pelvis. Eh. Here it is again. We, we're now going to look at the pelvis and see a prominent gonadal vein. And we're looking at the ureter, and the ureter seems to be thickened. And you look at it again, is there a filling defect? And no matter what we did, there was always this thickening and non-opacification of the patient's ureter. And then when you watched it in axial and looked at the coronal a bit more carefully, you realize there's a soft tissue infiltration. If you would have had the 3D, look at the changes on the 3D in caliber. That was a transitional cell carcinoma. So this patient was lucky. patient had surgery early. But you can see how subtle these things can be. So now we say... Okay, we've looked at hematuria. We're always thinking about tumors. Again, we think about tumors more in older patients than younger patients, but you always worry about tumor. So what else do we worry about? We worry about infection. But let's do this. Let's just take a break right there, and we'll come back, and let's talk about polynephritis. I'll be right back.